Ain't nobody trying to hear that bullshit, oh, man. Fuck. All right, welcome back to the Green Mountain Sports Roundup. I'm Ernesto Sanchez. I'm here with John Downing, and we're here to give you a quick roundup of this week in sports. Doing something a little bit different this week. We decided to do a mobile recording next to the pool, kids running around. So the first 11 minutes are going to be a little bit loud. We ask that you bear with us, and if you can't handle it, you can skip on over to about just past the 12-minute mark, where I finally got a hold of the audio And from there on out, it sounds pretty good. So I hope you all enjoy this special Memorial Day edition of the Green Mountain Sports Roundup. Johnny. Hey, how you doing? Uh, Starting to get nervous. Big day today. Yeah, it's a lot to look forward to. Lots to look forward to. I'm very giddy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, in your giddiness, just try and remember to talk into the mic. Eat the microphone. Yes, we are doing a a little bit of a different setup, as you could probably tell from the extraneous noises. Um, We're by the pool. It's memorial. It's it's Memorial Day. It's where we should be uh, on a on a day like this, as well as honoring uh, honoring all of the um, the veterans who who gave made the ultimate sacrifice uh, for our freedom. So, giving our lives. Yes, absolutely. Yes, so. we honor those who died on Memorial Day. Yes, Veterans Day is thanking those for their service. No, no, no. Today was, is not thanking. That's not what I said. I said thanking those veterans who gave paid the no, ultimate no, I'm just, price. Just saying. Oh yes. PSA. A lot of people don't know. The more you know. The more you know. Yeah. Not not good to say happy Memorial Day. No. Not, not something you're supposed to say. So Let's try to keep away from that. <laughs> All right. Uh, unfortunately, Marty couldn't get the time off, uh, so uh, we're, we miss him, but uh, hoping we'll have him back on uh, sooner than later. Yeah, hopefully at some point soon. All right, um, so we'll just get right into it. Episode number 27. Um, <laughs> Fans in the background. Oh, yeah. Yep. Uh, John, you want to start off with uh, your 27? Sure, yeah. The greatest baseball player who ever walked to the face of the earth. I thought Babe Ruth was two. Yeah, and then uh, the people who are alive today, you know, are all about number 27, Mike Trout. So we'll just go with that, you know. Uh, so number 27 is, for this week, my, my number 27 is Mike Trout. He is also nicknamed the Millville Meteor. He was first-round pick by the Angels in 2009. Um, <clears throat> he is a two-time MVP in 2014 and 16, but he also finished second in the MVP voting in 2012, 2013, 2015, and 2018. So he has two first-placed MVPs and four second-place MVP votes, or MVP seasons, all right? So his career batting average is 306, has 1,234 hits. Oh, yeah. Little cameo by the train. All right, and for home runs, (laughs) Mike Trout has 252 home runs, 678 RBIs, and 195 stolen bases. He is the um, the king of war. You know, basically the player that does it all well, fields well, hits well, uh, runs runs up bases very well. Um, that's so, uh, that's wins above replacement, right? So exactly. If, if you took him 
out of the game what you get back, he would be plus or minus whatever the average of that would be. Yeah, so he did almost, you know, every single year that he plays. I mean, he's been hurt a lot lately, but even with the injuries, he still t tends to be the war leader almost every single year. So he is the king of war, Mike Trout. All right. All right, but the thing is, he did just sign a $400 million record contract with the Angels. This is past that a lot of money? Austin. It, I mean, it is a lot of money, but he's worth it. But he's on the Angels, so he's guaranteed to kind of stay irrelevant out there in L.A. And, you know, they have money tied up now in Trout, in Pujols, and, um, you know, they did just sign Otani, who's back on the field now, for, which is good. But they just seem to be hang, hamstrung by their financial restrictions, and they're just kind of um, irrelevant out there in L.A., with the number one team being the Dodgers for the fans out there, so... Trout could have opted to just play out the contract and then sign somewhere big, like on the East Coast, you know, something got big money anywhere else, and you know, be a general, be a player in the playoffs every year. The players that that fans got to know, but he chose to stay in one place for his career. He'll be in L.A. So. And Otani is the modern day Babe Ruth, right? Pitcher. Correct. That hit. Yeah. So, but he did just have Tommy John surgery, so he's not pitching this year. He's just hitting. Um, he'll be should be back on the mound next year. All right. Just uh, to, to take a quick pause here, why won't L.A. put the pieces together to be able to compete? Because well, they have a lot of big money contracts tie, tied up. So, mm -hmm. like I said, Pujols, uh, Justin Upton, um, now Otani. So they've, they've made a lot of poor financial decisions. <laughs> the chief among them being the Pujols contract. They gave Pujols a 10-year contract for over $200 million for the back 10 years of his career, so they have years to go on that contract, and he's way past his prime. And they can't buy him out? Um, no, you, you have to pay the major league players. You have to pay them until the end, the end of their contracts, that, hence the guaranteed contracts in baseball. Hmm. All right. Uh, for my number 27, I went with the first um, jersey that I ever asked my parents for, which you probably couldn't guess, unless we had already talked about it ahead of time. I wouldn't have guessed it. <laughs> I would have yeah. thought that you didn't like this guy. Yeah, well, here's the thing is, you remember my dad was golfing buddies with Neil O'Donnell. So when Neil uh, left the Steelers, he went to the Bengals, I believe, for a short time. And then eventually wound up as the backup to Steve McNair. Uh, when okay. they when they had their big runs and they made it to the Super Bowl and you know the the Dyson three more yards 1999 yeah it was which was kind of like uh, nightmare all over again with the needing three more yards thing uh, oh, so close <laughs> um, so Eddie George um, and the funny thing was is I asked for Eddie George jersey and my dad. My dad bought me the only one that they had in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, which was a size XL men's. So on, you know, 11-year-old, 52-pound Ernesto, <laughs> the XL men's looked very much like a dress. Um, and I got made fun of a lot for it. I am surprised that they didn't have more available in Pittsburgh, <laughs> considering he was a division rival. Oh, my God. Um, or a rival. But you said that you you thought he was better as uh, a star for the Buckeyes. Just because of how good he was in college. He was one of those transcendent college players that you always remember. Not saying he's a Hall of Famer in the NFL. So he was really good in the NFL, too. But in college, he was just so, so good. Like mm -hmm. After his freshman year, he fumbled. 
fumbled in a big game. I don't know if it was the bowl game or... No, it was against Michigan. It was the big Michigan game at the end of the year. And it cost them a spot in a big bowl game. So he came back even stronger the next year. And you know, he just put up dynamite statistics in his sophomore, junior, and senior year. Uh, propelled him to be a first-round pick by the Titans in the NFL. Yeah, he was a uh, 14th-round pick by the then Houston... Uh, Houston Oilers, yep, and then it was Tennessee Oilers, and then he followed them into the Titans. Uh, Four-time Pro Bowler, uh, first-team All-Pro in 2000, second-team All-Pro in 1999. He was the Offensive Rookie of the Year in 96, uh, Heisman Trophy winner in 95, uh, and Big Ten Most Valuable Player, uh, Doak Walker Award, Maxwell Award, Walter Camp Award, uh, Unanimous All-American, uh, Ohio State retired his number, and he's in the Titans Ring of Honor. Uh, over 10,000 rushing yards, uh, 68 rushing touchdowns, 268 receptions, 10 uh, receiving touchdowns. Um, not a football Hall of Famer, but he is in the College Football Hall of Fame. I was wrong about that. I just assumed he was a Hall of Famer. Yeah, I think I guess he just one of the one there. of those guys on on the edge uh, with the numbers. I think you yeah, know he kind slowed of, down big time. In the second half of his career, mm -hmm. big time. You know, like he was a big bruising running back who went up the middle all the time and took those took those hits. Mm -hmm. And I just think that that took a huge toll on him in the yeah. second half of his career. Yeah, I I also think too um, the lack of any hardware there uh, really hurt his chances of getting into the hall. If he had had the um, the the Super Bowl. Uh, ring, and even maybe an M uh, an MVP, uh, Super Bowl MVP. Yeah, he did have some good years where he was really close. Yeah, so, Eddie George. All right. Okay. Uh, before we head into uh, what is sure to be the main course of our discussion today uh, with the big game coming up later, uh, why don't you tell me a little bit about the Raptors and Golden State Warriors? All right, so the Golden State Warriors, to nobody's surprise whatsoever, reached their fifth consecutive NBA Finals, seeking to win their fourth championship in the last five years. They're the first team since the late 50s, early 60s Celtics to reach the Finals five straight years. Those are the Bill Russell Celtics? Yes. We are, I think everyone's I'm starting to turn a corner on the Warriors personally, although I am sick of the Warriors. I'm just kind of hoping Durant leaves, Cousins leaves, and maybe we're just stuck with Curry, Clay Thompson, and Draymond Green because and then they're still they're still, they're still a there. contender. They don't they don't need Durant. They just, <laughs> so what this proves even more so than ever is that Durant was just just shipped in and and just you know latched on for a couple championships, right? That's yeah. all this really proves. It, it's making Kevin Durant look worse than ever. Yep. than he ever did. So with, he got injured um, in what in the um, in the second round in game five against Houston. He has a strained calf. And it was at this point that we finally figured out the audio. So Kevin Durant went out with the knee injury in the second round, game number five against Houston. Um, no, it wasn't a knee injury. It was a strained calf muscle. Right. Okay. Right. And so ever since then, the Warriors have looked like the Warriors from pre-Kevin Durant years. And they are, to me, they are more fun to watch when you mm -hmm. watch them play. Draymond Green 
becomes a much more important piece to the puzzle because um, he's such a unique player. They can get it down low. Draymond Green has such good vision, almost Magic Johnson-esque, where he plays like um, point power forward type role. And he just is able to find guys like Curry and Clay Thompson open where they need to be and then even looking up the court and getting them, all, getting them the ball with like two seconds into the shot clock just to get a three-point shot off and bang, they hit it. They just look, look like more of like a, a more fluent, uh, fun team to watch, you know, that, that, fl that high-flying, explosive offensive team that we saw a couple years ago with the less iso ball that they had to play with Kevin Durant being the number one guy in Golden State the last couple of years. So, I mean, clearly they don't need him. He's just a surplus. Um, but when they have him, they obviously are going to use him. They have they use him, obviously. He's been the finals MVP the last two seasons. Right. But, I mean, he just, he just looks even worse. And if he misses the entire finals this time around, which it looks like it may, it may happen because he's already been ruled out of game one, which starts this Thursday night, and he hasn't even begun doing on-court activity. Mm -hmm. So... It doesn't look good for his chances unless the series goes long, maybe six, seven games. It doesn't look good like he's going to participate in the series. So if the Warriors end up winning another championship and they just prove to everyone that they really did not need him whatsoever, it's really going to look bad for Durant um, and his legacy. Um, those two championships don't look like championships that he was earned that he earned on his own whatsoever. So right. he's definitely going to have to go somewhere else and win like to York, secure and, and his and legacy. To secure his legacy, yeah. and that's really important. It, right now, that's on. That's like on the fringe of happening. And for a player like Kevin Durant, who a lot of people say is the best player in the NBA, along with LeBron James right now, this is, I mean, for him, for him right now, it must be a nightmare seeing what's happening to him because his whole legacy is just being tarnished in front of him by what his team is doing without him. And that's why we've seen him be so super sensitive on social media with in regards to all the commentators' comments to him. You know, he's been paying attention to what everybody's been saying about him and making snarky rem remarks back to them. And, you know, he's just re – he's always been super sensitive to the media, but it's been even worse lately. I feel like basketball players in general are super sensitive to the media, and because it's such a star-driven game and their image is so uh, important that a lot of times it's hard to be team first because – you really got to look out for yourself. I mean, I mean, in many ways, you're alone out there, and especially marquee players like like Durant. If his championships are legit delegitimized, that affects his legacy forever. And there's no there's no getting that back if he can't win somewhere. He'll else. never even get the credit for those championships. They'll just take it away from him. They'll say when they talk Kevin Durant, they'll they'll say he didn't even win those two championships because he just joined the Warriors who were winning championships before him and without him. Right. Do you know what I mean? They'll mm -hmm. just say he just copped on board, so those don't even count as his. And that's got to be a even really though he was an MVP. Hate, even though he was the finalist MVP twice, and that's got to be a really I mean, for someone who I don't like what Kevin Durant did, obviously, but that's got to hurt inside for him. I mm -hmm. mean, for you, I mean, wouldn't that kill you? Oh yeah. So I mean, for him, maybe he gets back for a couple games, and he he just needs to pitch in a little bit. If he can just pitch mm -hmm. in a little bit, then okay, we're then they'll be good again. But if he's not able to come back, say they they sweep them, say the Warriors win four games to none. Oh boy. Oh, you know. Oh yeah. boy. Like. <laughs> <laughs> what what? So what do you think he needs to do to? Safeguard his legacy. Do you think he needs three games, 35 points? Yeah, because when he plays, he's going to score, you know, hit, I mean, I think he's like guaranteed to score at least 20 points if he just shows up. 
You know, he's mm-hmm. Kevin Durant. He gets the ball that much, and he's that dominant. So, yeah, I mean, if he can play his three games, score 20 points a game, then fine, you know. He just has to be a part of it. He can't let them go on and win and them win it without him easily. That, that so he missed happen. he missed the entire third round, correct? Correct. And they swept Portland four games to none, and they clinched against Houston at Houston, which is no which isn't easy. The Houston was big big favorites, well relatively big favorites against the Warriors in that game, game six. And so without Durant, they go down to Houston and and they. They beat the hell out of them, and Curry had 33 points in the second half, and they just squashed the Rockets. They ended it right there, and everyone thought the war- the Rockets would have a chance against the Warriors without Durant, and it just wasn't that way at all. And then, like we said, just said, the Warriors go on, and they sweep Portland re- relatively easily. They got down early in some of the games, but you know when they got hot, they just took over in the second half of games, especially Steph Curry. Cur- Steph Curry and Draymond Green, it's just – it's like, hello again. Nice to meet you. Mm-hmm. It, we haven't seen you guys play in a few years. And to see them play again the way that you know that they're capable of playing, it's almost refreshing because it's a nice style of basketball to watch play. Right, right. And when you throw Durant in there, and I just feel like Durant is an interrupter of all that. Well, it's, he is undeniably a great player, and they can, with the talent they have on the court, they can absolutely win with him. But the, the identity of the team... You know, he, he doesn't necessarily fit in with that. And uh, also another thing that I think I've noticed is that uh, Steph Curry seems to really um, – he's a clutch player, so he really excels in those clutch situations. And I feel like a big part of him needs to feel that pressure. He needs to know that it's up to him in order for him to hit those shots at those moments. Yeah. You know, so uh, I think that's a lot why you see his game elevate so much when those other pieces aren't available. So, yeah, like I said, it'll be interesting to see exactly how this plays out going forward. Um, So we did just see, if you move over to the other series, we saw Toronto knock out the Milwaukee Bucks in six games. And the other thing, the juxtaposition of the way that the styles of play. So I really did never enjoyed watching Giannis and the Bucks play. It's basically give the ball to Giannis at either half court or the three-point line, and then he travels to the hoop, or he gets a foul call, and you see him go to the foul line, or he kicks it out for one of those big ogres who have, uh, you know, as much agility as, say, Frankenstein. All they do is sit five feet behind the three-point line, the rest of the team, and just wait for the ball to be tossed back to them if Giannis can't get it in. And then with all the foul calls that happen in the Giannis games, it's – it. It makes the game so painful to watch because it's always stop, stop and go, stop and go, stop and go, free throws, free throws, commercial timeout, stop and go, as opposed to when you watch these Warriors play now with Curry, so Draymond fluid. Green, and, and Clay Thompson. It's like, boom, up the court, boom, 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 boom. And it's like, oh, man, this is so much fun to watch. Mm-hmm. When the thing is, is you've, you've grown to like dislike, dislike the Warriors because of their overwhelming ta- talent and the fact that they've kind of been the patriots of the NBA lately and they just continue to get there year after year after year you get sick of them but I think you just got to remember that we're sick of the Durant Warriors this Warriors is actually kind of pleasant to watch oh wow you're coming around I am coming around but without Durant and that's why I really think Durant needs to leave whether he takes Kyrie with him to New York or wherever he goes it's just it's it's time for the Warriors to go back to being the the Dre Clay and Curry Warriors because (laughs) that's 
those are the fun Warriors to watch. Anyway, back to the Bucks raptors series. So the Bucks go up in that series two games to none early on, and I think that everyone just assumed it was going to be Warriors-Bucks from then on out. But the Raptors figured something out. They, you know, they took from what Brad Stevens and the Celtics did against Giannis, and they built that wall along the free throw line to prevent Giannis from going to the hoop. Mm-hmm. And then as the series went on, he also got a little more physical, and Giannis wasn't getting the ridiculous amount of free throw attempts like he was early on in the Celtics series and early on in the Raptors series. So you didn't see him shooting almost 20 free throws a game, which was insane. I just like, give, like, give me a break with this, the free throw percentage, the free throw attempts. So the Raptors get up, they well, they tie the series 2-2 with their two wins at home, and then the the, chain, the turning point of the series is when they go into Milwaukee for game five, and Kawhi and the the Raptors um, role players like Fred Van Vliet hits seven three pointers, goes seven for seven for beyond the arc, and they stun the Bucks in Milwaukee, and they they steal that game, and they go up three games to two, go back in Tor- to Toronto in Game Six, and they got down big early. They were down by 15 points, and then they were down 15 points with like four minutes to go in the third quarter, and then it was like the Bucks kind of forgot how to play. You know they were they were letting the the shot clock go down to under five seconds on almost every single possession, and then they couldn't find themselves an open shot to bail themselves out. They were shooting contested threes over and over again, terrible shots, by by guys that can't hit covered threes. So, the Raptors made a uh, 26 to two run, and that was pretty much it from there. And the four, midway through the fourth quarter, the the Raptors were up um, like eight points, and then they were able to close them out. Um, and and the thing with Giannis is he wasn't his game is so not not really refined because it's everything that he gets is from three feet and in or he kicks it out to one of the guys that are shooting three pointers. He doesn't have that mid range game mm-hmm. and he also doesn't have that outside three point game where he can shoot his team back in it. So if Giannis isn't getting to within three feet of the hoop, forget about it. He's not really a factor. And the Raptors did a really good job of preventing him from doing that, and then covering the three-pointer, three-point shots as well. So, uh, cheers to the Raptors. Cheers to Drake. They win the series four to two, and they move on. And now they have home court against the Warriors in the first two games. Uh, game one starting this Thursday. So, what would be worse, watching the same old, same old Golden State wins it again, or? Watching the Drake curse finally come. He, come he needs to, to go me. away and let the team let the team shine on its own. This is the first time that they've ever been this far, and they're what twenty seven years of being in the NBA or twenty five years, whatever it is. It's been twenty five or something like that, and this is as far as the furthest they've ever gotten. And now Drake, of all people, is stealing the shine. Get out of here. <laughs> yeah, I imagine Drake Bieber, Rush. Everybody's like <laughs> coming in to 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 get their their you know moment in the spotlight they haven't had a lot to cheer for in toronto no they haven't they haven't so it'll be interesting to see if they can steal a game from the warriors i'm saying steal a game the first two games are in toronto so but you know the warriors are going to be favorites so Mm -hmm. we'll see so what are you thinking warriors in five just to be nice uh warriors in six actually i think they'll they'll close it out in game six at oracle arena i think so this will be the last series ever played at oracle arena they're moving into a new arena next year mm-hmm. um so kind of kind of a shame because it's a good place for the fans the the crowd that really gets into it there and is extremely loud in that arena the way it's built um and the way they when they're chanting warriors warriors it just it gets crazy so it'll be at uh, the last moment for that place and i think the warriors will you know 
close it in style with the win in game six of the finals. Mm. All right. I saw an interesting thing uh, that somebody had posted the last few all-star matchups between uh, in, in the NBA finals have been Kawhi versus LeBron, Kawhi versus LeBron, LeBron versus Curry, LeBron versus Curry, LeBron versus Curry, LeBron versus Curry. Now it's Curry versus Kawhi. Kawhi. That's crazy, man. Yeah, Kawhi just proving how good he really is. So I remember a couple of years ago, and it was a 2014 when he ended LeBron's time in Miami. Uh, the year before, the Spurs had made it to the NBA Finals, and they had a five-point lead with under a minute to go. And Kawhi missed some crucial free throws, and that allowed Ray, Ray Allen to get the opportunity. This was when the, the game that in 2013, the Miami fans are filing out Ever they're filing out, and then all of a sudden Ray Allen hits that three to tie it, the magical three to tie it, and send it to overtime. And then they come back and win and win the series. Um, so Kawhi took that personally. Next year he comes back in 2014, and he um, was like the one-man show for the Spurs, and he defeats LeBron and ends LeBron's reign in Miami. LeBron went home to Cleveland after that. Mm-hmm. And, and the, you know, so everything that happened with Kawhi and San Antonio – Popovich, you know, saying that Kawhi was soft for not playing through his groin injury last year. And obviously Kawhi didn't like that, demanded a trade. And now he's up in Toronto. Toronto took the chance, you know, even though he's on a one-year deal only. And he's soft. And who knows if he's soft. (laughs) (laughs) I think he's proven that he's not soft and he is a one-man wrecking crew. But can he take down the Warriors? I, I I don't think so. I don't see it. I mean, LeBron did it by himself couple years ago did he though he had Kyrie and Kevin Love that's true that was he by just him I don't think so I remember I remember watching that series and just watching LeBron will them to victory until Kyrie well and here's the thing so Draymond Green got himself suspended in game six of that series remember Mm. so they were without Draymond Green and then Kyrie was the one who hit the big shot to clinch it in game seven Hmm. So it wasn't just LeBron, but I know what you're saying. LeBron was phenomenal that series. Yeah, it just seemed like like when he wanted to take it to the hole, he did, and there was no stopping him. Yeah, and he was great defensively as well with that big block on Iguodala. Mm-hmm. All right, so you've got... Uh, Warriors and six. Warriors and six, okay. Uh, so it is said, so shall it be done. All right. <laughs> All right, we're going to move on to the clip of the week. You know, I've been saying that for a long time. We are treating everybody the same way, uh, no matter if he's 18 or 40 or or somebody has 1,000 games or playing his first game. We, we treat each other with respect and and same way as everybody else in the locker room. Um, I said it many times, uh, you know, since very young age, I didn't like the separation between... Um, you know, inside a team between young players and older players, players who accomplish something, players who just, you know, come into the league. Um, and I don't like to use the word rookie. Um, you know, they're teammates. And, you know, um, yeah, I just, I just don't, don't like to separate. You know, like I, I don't think that's, that's the right thing to do. I think that, you know, once you're a team, you're a team, and, and regardless of the age or, or accomplishments, you know, we. We have to treat treat each other with respect and in the same way. All right, and welcome back. The captain, Big Z, Zidane Chara, just um, laying down the knowledge there. You got to love that. Absolutely, and I think that just 
if on the on a bigger picture, it just goes to show how close knit the team is in general. And I was talking to Cristino about this yesterday. That, or no, it was this morning. And one thing that you're gonna have to tell me if you've noticed this too. But being spoiled in New England the last 19 years, and seeing exactly what a championship team looks like throughout the season. Mm-hmm. You get to you get to kind of get a feel for when a championship team is being built, what they look like. You know, they play for each other. They don't quit until the very end, until until the the buzzer sounds or the, the whatever the the game final is whistle, the game final yeah. whistle, whatever it may be. There's just something about that, and you can see it in the teams that do have it, and you can see it in the teams that don't have it. Mm-hmm. Like the, for instance, this year Celtics, you could tell from day one that they. There was something. There was something missing there. This Bruins team that's been so enjoyable all year long. They've they've had this it factor, whatever it is. They play for one another, and when when you when you have that, you know, but something, and then you have the talent, obviously. That but starts at the top. It starts at the top. I, I think um, you see that in the Patriots with Tom Brady and Bill Belichick setting the tone, and you see that in the um, Bruins. You know, as much as it pains me to say. With but did uh, your Penguins teams do so? I, you know, forgive me. I didn't follow the Penguins teams closely. Um, from from you know when you're clo- when you're close to it, you follow on the inside. You know, you listen to all the beat reporters and everything. Were the Penguins teams similar in that way? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Sidney Crosby's leadership um, is is long fabled. You know, he's he's been the captain of every team he's been on since he was. Yeah, I mean, you see, you see the leadership. I think there's a little bit of a difference on the um, on the Bruins because you have an elder statesman like like Bergeron, who on any other team would be the, the hands down captain, but on this team, you know, he he's the first mate, and um, you know, you want to talk about a, a two way player that puts it all out on the ice and has the respect of every single last person in the league. Um, you know, I mean, that's uh, how many Selkies has he won? Five, six, something uh, like that. This would be his fifth if he wins it again this, this year. So you know, he's and that, sta- that award goes to best two-way center. Yeah, two-way center. Well, two two-way player, but it's almost always given to a center, given what the rules of of the position is. All right, so should we get into the breakdown a little bit? So sure. is he going to meet his match in Ryan O'Reilly here? Because Ryan O'Reilly, when he was with the Buffalo Sabres, gave Bergeron fits. Is Ryan O'Reilly the player that Bergeron is? No, he's not. He's definitely not. Is he the player he even was a few years ago? Probably no. not. But can he affect the series? Yeah, he definitely can. I think um, especially with what you told me earlier today, Marshawn is likely uh, ha- has a wing clipped. Yeah, so this might be breaking news for a lot of folks because it's not being mentioned. It's a big wasp. It is a big wasp, and it's concerning me. <laughs> the uh, the perils of outdoor podcasting, John. I don't know what to move or sit. I think if we just ignore it, we'll be all right. Okay. <laughs> okay, so we the breaking news. So part of this, I knew the layoff is never going to be a good thing. The 11 days layoff for the Bruins, it, there's a recipe for disaster. I just knew it. Too much time. The last, the last six Stanley Cups, the team with the longer layoffs has lost. It's just fact of the matter. It's hard. You can't simulate Stanley Cup playoff speed. You can't simulate it, no matter what you want to do, what you try to do. So what the Bruins tried to do on Thursday night is they sold out the the Garden and they had an intra squad scrimmage. And you know, so, like Rask says after the game when he's asked, "What did he think of it?" and he says, "Well, I was there. 
(laughs) (laughs) But the bigger issue is that Marshan collided with somebody. I'm not quite sure who. Um, But then he had to exit early. He gets off the ice early. And then he's seen leaving the arena all covered up in a big coat because Uh he's got something on his hand, wrist. He has an issue. It's a serious issue. And he skipped practice yesterday. And they're saying for maintenance day... Who's Brad Marchand all of a sudden sudden taking maintenance days the day before his game one of the Stanley Cup? No. There's something wrong. There's something going on there, and that's a big concern when it comes down to the power play and, you know, just the goal-scoring ability in general. Yeah, I mean, and not to, uh, not to take anything away from his uh, defensive prowess as well. I mean, he's a huge part of the PK and a huge threat on the PK for, for putting, it back, putting it back the other way. So you got to... Anytime you know he's on the ice, you gotta have your eyes out for him, and he's also gonna do some snaky shit, you know. So you gotta just be aware of where he is. And what if the Blues know about it? Which I'm sure they do now. Oh yeah, absolutely. Good. I'm sure they're gonna be all over him. They were gonna be all over him, trying to get him off his game, get him frustrated. Um, you know, try and try and get him to a bad place where he's gonna start acting out. Because when Brad Marchand is doing. Brad Marchand things, and he's off his game. He's not scoring goals. Right. You know, so right. see so if we, we can't well, get him to lick some faces. We've already got a distractor in the wrist, and that's a concern for me. We saw what the hand injury did for Pasternak early on in the playoffs this year as he, as he was loose with the puck as he couldn't feel it on his skate. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm afraid that similar stuff might happen with Marchand in the Stanley Cup. I mean, we're going to see. We're going to find out in a couple hours exactly how bad the injury is. Um you know, and I'm curious to see how the first period plays out because so the Bruins have had 11 days off, the Blues have now had five days off. Um, is Bennington that good? Is it just the defense? Is the size of the Blues going to win out, or is it the you know the smaller, quicker defenseman of the Bruins going to be able to avoid them and move the puck up the ice? It, it'll be interesting. Yeah, well, let's set the scene a little bit. St. Louis and Boston, the only cities to play for a title in all four major sports. Like overall? Overall. Okay. Uh, It's the 11th championship meeting between the cities in all sports. Okay, but can we go back to those the 1970 Stanley Cup? That was a joke. That was a joke. Okay, so so that was right after the expansion happened when you had so Stan, St. Louis made it in 68, 69, and 70. They lost to Montreal in 68 and 69, four games to none each time. Right, and then lost four games to none in 1970 right. to okay. the Bruins. But, but, but hold on, let's set let's set up the scene for the for the people who don't know about the 63 or. Not 68, 69, six, and 70. 68 expansion. When so you had the original six, right? Which aren't even the original six, but we're not we're not gonna go there right now. And when decided to do expansion to the league, they decided to double it. However, with all of these new teams, they needed to create divisions. Now instead of doing the smart thing and creating Balance. a western division and an eastern division that had some of the original teams that were all loaded up with people and some of the other teams that were, um, you know, creating some... Some sort of balance. Some sort of balance. What they did was they had all of the original teams in one division, and which they called the East. And then all the expansion teams together in the West. Right. And so the expansion teams all played together, played against each other, and the Blues were just the best of the expansion. And then all it was was an, an award to see who gets to go against... 
the winner of the the beast of the east. <laughs> yeah, and just get the original teams on. and get smashed on. And so yeah. that's exactly what happened. Montreal smashed them four games to none in '68. Montreal smashed them again four games to none in 1969. And then here come the Bruins in 1970, and the Bruins smash them in 1970. And the Bobby Orgel. Give me a break. That's a joke, right? That's a statue of that Bobby Orgel, the one they were up three games to none. It was right in overtime. His over, overtime had just started, and he was going into the air no matter what. <laughs> and now we no, idolize this goal. He wasn't going into the air. He jumped. He jumped. He jumped. And now there's a statue. There's a, it's a great picture. You got. You can't deny that it's, it's a great picture and a great moment. And... Um, Regardless of the fact that the Bruins were going to win that series anyways, anyway, a overtime Stanley Cup Finals clincher. It's a little much. Still... It's a little much in the city of champions for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, back before you had any Super Bowls to talk about, um, that's what it was. We talked about the the losers, the '67 Impossible Dream loser Red Sox who lost to the St. <laughs> Louis Cardinals, who got killed by Bob Gibson twice in that series. And then now we get to talk about Bobby Orr for years and years and that goal that didn't matter because they were going to win anyway. Yeah. Oh, quick quick pause, though. Um, speaking of losing Red Sox teams, uh, you said Bill Buckner passed away? Yes, today, 69 years old. Bill Buckner, best known for the 1986 Game 6 against the New York Mets. Um, they had... The, the game was actually tied at this point, and he lets the ball go through his legs, and the Mets score the winning run. They win Game 6, and then... The Red Sox so defeated because they gave it up in that game, and it was devastating. And I guess the people forget, though, that they did come out and get the lead early in Game 7 as well, only to blow it in that game as well. But everyone blames Bill Buckner. Uh, Bill Buckner played 22 years in the major leagues. He had over 2,700 hits. He was a borderline Hall of Fame player. People don't know that because he spent his latter years in Boston and he's known for the, the ball between the legs, legs the Buckner play. Right. But he spent a lot of good seasons with the Chicago Cubs. Um, and unfortunately, he died today at 69 years old. He had the form of dementia. Wow. Well, RIP and uh, T's and P's to his family. He uh, was forgiven. That's the important thing. And I mean, it, it never should have been as bad as it was because there were so many other elements that led to that. Yes, it was a bad play. Um, but once the Red Sox won their World Series in 2004, they brought him back, and you know all was forgiven, mm-hmm. as it never really should have been that bad to begin with. But it was forgiven. All right. Um, so looking at the season series between the Bruins and St. Louis, uh, it was one and one. Uh, in January, the Bruins won uh, handily, five to two. Uh, Jake Allen was in net. It was in Boston, and then about a month later. Uh, as part of the Blues' historic run uh, from last place to the Stanley Cup final, the Blues won 2-1 to one in a shootout. Both Rask and Bennington only let in one goal, and that one, that one was, of course, in St. Louis. Uh, both scored 57 goals uh, in this Stanley Cup playoffs. Uh, the Bruins have goals from 19 different skaters. The Blues have goals from 18 different skaters. I think this is going to be a really great matchup. Just because both teams are so deep, uh, neither of them really rely on just one line. You know, there's uh, all four lines contribute. Yeah, so it's gonna be it's gonna be fun to watch the battle. That, yeah, that I mean goes the, the Bruins line fourth line did take a hit though. With Chris Wagner breaking his forearm in game number three against the Carolina Hurricanes. Uh, he's got a big cast on it, so it looks like he's not gonna be. You know, they never tell you wh- how long players out. 
unfortunately, they say upper body injury, lower right. body injury. But they, uh, he has a broken forearm from two weeks ago. I just don't see him playing, and that's a big loss. So Nolachari will be in. He's slower. He's yeah. much slower than, than Chris Wagner. Um, and I just don't think he has quite the same impact that Wagner has, but he's solid. Okay. Looking between the pipes, Jordan Bennington, uh, again, has just about single-handedly extricated this team from the grave. Tremendous confidence for such a, a young kid. Um, Do you know he's a former Bruin? Well, Providence, kind of. Providence. Right. I just seen if you knew. <laughs> yeah, he was he was loaned out to Providence because he they they trying to send him to the East Coast Hockey League. He was like, "Fuck the coast, I'm not going there. Find something else to do with me." They lent him over to the Providence Bruins, which usually when you have a loaner player, it's it's like, um, okay, we'll hold on to this guy for you, get him some practice reps. But it was, it, and they don't really play him because it's not their guy. They want to get their guys the game time. They want to get their guys the stats and the, and the things like that. But it, it was it was sort of a situation where he was so good, they couldn't not play him. You know, he they they had to put him in, and, and from all accounts, he was absolutely fantastic. In this playoffs, uh, he's 12-7. and seven. He's got a 236 goals against average, a 914 uh, save percentage, and one shutout. Uh, Tuka Rask is doing just like... Is Bennington dented? Is he what? Dented. Has he been dented? He allowed six goals against Winnipeg. He did allow six goals against Winnipeg. He also allowed six goals um, in round three, both games one and five, to San Jose. Yeah. So I'm thinking the defense may have more to do with their success than Bennington himself at this point. Um, I don't I don't agree because Jake Allen wasn't getting it done. He had the same defense. I'm saying at this point now, I think Bennington did 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 the righted the ship, righted the ship. But I think that where they are, as far as they are in the in the the Stanley Cup, obviously now, I think the defense has more to do with it. Look what they did to Dallas in Game Seven. Yeah, they only allowed three shots to Dallas in the second and third periods and both overtimes combined, and that's so that's defense doing the work, right? Mm. I got an interesting stat here about uh, Bennington. His goals against average in high uh, danger zone, even strength shots in the regular season was a uh, .860. In the playoffs, that's fallen off quite a bit. He's at .808. So that that means he's given up goals close around the net. And um, if I'm the Boston Bruins, I'm – Turning that stat right there into a uh, into a game plan, and being like, let's get traffic up front, let's get it up close, and just try and shove that motherfucker in. So I heard through the grapevine that goalie Bob Bob Asenza, mm-hmm. um, he put together a nice film on all the goals that Bennington has allowed, and the team sat down and watched it in their you know their film prep work yesterday. Well, they're they're gonna see a lot of goals from in close, so so. I'm sure that's going to be part but of the game But that's easier plan. said than done because, like we've seen with you know with the Sharks, with Dallas, in um, the St. Louis defensemen are so big. It just seems like, and they are so content. If you watch the Blues play, they're so defensively, they're so content with just taking up the space, and then if a puck goes near them, mm-hmm. just they just clear it. Yeah. And they don't even they don't even care about the offensive play going forward. They just want to clear clear the zone. Clear they, they it's so annoying and it's frustrating. It's they get the puck, clear the zone. Get the puck, clear the zone. Get the puck, clear the zone. Don't let them in. Don't let them in. Don't let them in. And it's just come on. Well, that's that's one of those times where I think 
the the Bruins being such a veteran team are going to have a little bit of the advantage because they're not going to get impatient in those moments and start taking. San Jose got impatient, right? Big time. You could see it. They were they were. I mean, they got scored ten to one in the last two games. Yeah, because they and they were and it could have been worse. They were letting chances go, but the, the, they were letting odd man rushes go the other way. They just got non-stop. too desperate for it. All right, getting back to uh, Tuka Rask though. He's twelve and five in in this uh, playoffs. He's got a one point eight four goals against average and a scorching uh, nine forty two save percentage with two shutouts. Uh, he's been nine hundred or better goals against in all seventeen games this playoff. It's the second longest streak of the such. Jonathan Quick with the Kings in two thousand and twelve had eighteen straight with nine hundred or better. Um, so. I imagine there's a good there's a good chance that that record gets broken tonight. Yeah, I mean, I, I hope so. I mean, my concern is the layoff, as you know, when you have a hot goaltender and the goaltender's playing every other game, every other day, basically, which he was for so long, and then you get this long layoff. I mean, the goaltender is the one I think that can be affected the most potentially. So it'll be interesting to see how Game One plays out tonight. And, and you know, to start the playoffs, the Stanley Cup playoffs, we were talking about the chance that. Yaroslav Halak might be playing because we <laughs> nobody was quite sure about what to expect from Rask, and I think he's made us all look foolish to this point. Well, I think he's always been been better what than what uh, people in Boston are willing to give him credit for. Uh, agreed. I mean, agreed. I I got a stat here. In the last ten years, he's had the the highest goals against average of of any goalie at nine twenty one, uh, and that's of goalies that have paid, played two hundred fifty games or more. And then uh, he's got the highest even strength goals against average as well at uh, 929. Yeah, I mean, he's been fantastic. And the one thing I like about this year's playoff run as opposed to 2013 is 2013, which you're familiar with, it was yeah, more of an up and down. I remember. I know, but it was more of an up and down. He was so-so in the first round against Toronto. Maybe even not even so-so. Maybe he was just, you know, not that good against Toronto because it was kind of a battle to see which goalie you could do worse and the Bruins advanced in seven games in overtime and then against the Rangers in the second round he was a little bit better but still wasn't great and then in the third round he was fantastic and then against the Blackhawks is when it all came to roost and you know he let his guard down and you know we know what happened there but this year it's been a more evened out performance ever ever since the after the first game against Toronto it just seems he's, he's been nails ever since. Yeah. All right. Getting into a little more of the breakdown here. How do we how do we think the offenses are gonna are gonna match up here? I see the first couple lines just about canceling out. I mean, Jaden Schwartz has been really hot lately. David Perron has been really hot lately. Um, Huge pickups in the off season for for the St. Louis Blues. You got to hand it to the organization for getting it done. Uh, you know, picking up uh, Ryan O'Reilly, of course, and Tyler Bozak, Perron, and Bozak. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, also the Bruins too, with hu- huge uh, contributors. Um, Johansson and Coyle. Yeah, and uh, Heinen too, right? Danton Heinen. Yep. So uh, I mean, these guys are all all contributors. Um, one of the one of the cool stories that I'm, I'll be following is the return to St. Louis of of David Backus. Um, at, you know, he used to be the captain there, um, looking to join a long line of Blues captains uh, to win a cup after leaving. Uh, any you can name off the top of your head? T.J. Oshie. 
<laughs> yeah, no, he wasn't a captain, but he, he captain. did he did leave and win. Uh, Scott Stevens uh, for Jersey, uh, Brett Hall, obviously, oh, yeah. Chris Brett Pronger. Hall. Brett Hall with Dallas, that's right. Yeah, and also Detroit as well. Uh, Chris Pronger for Anaheim, and uh, I didn't know I wouldn't have gotten this one. Dallas Drake for Detroit. Oh yeah, Dallas Drake. So, I remember I used to play him. He was on Dallas, I think, in NHL '94. Dallas on Dallas. I think so. <laughs> the uh, the last time that there was a champion in baseball, football, and hockey from the same city, the 1935 Detroit. Tigers, Lions, and Red Wings. Well, hopefully it happens again. Yeah. And the Celtics will be the one team that let everyone know, and they were the biggest favorites. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I just I can't agree that the Patriots weren't the biggest favorites this year. Um, I, I think it's it's close, but, you know, the Celtics were a favorite to go to the finals. They were. They were the odds-on Vegas favorite to go to the finals. I don't know if the Patriots were the AFC finals. Favorites probably not, but only because of the anti-patriots bias across the United States. Maybe another cool story from this playoff: uh, John Grizzlick, man, Matt Grizzlick, Matt. Gr- I read that wrong, down wrong. Sorry about that, Matt Grizzlick. Excuse me, the Charlestown kid. Oh yeah, We're up uh, ten miles from the uh, from the garden. And his his dad works on the ice crew or worked on the ice crew yep. his his whole life, so he, he kind of. Grew up around it, probably what inspired his his love of hockey. And, uh, man, what a story for him and his family. Well, they have a lot of local guys, and I think that was also part of the plan. You know, well, they got Coyle, who's from uh, Walpole, Mass., and then they have uh, Connor Clifton, Chris Wagner. No, Wagner's from Walpole, sorry. Coyle is from Midfield, I believe. And, yeah, Grizzly. So they have four kids who are from the Boston area. All right. So it means something a little more to them. Looks to me like the burgers are ready, so we got to wrap this up here, uh, get back to our Memorial Day uh, festivities. But I wanted to leave you with a couple things. Uh, f- first, one thing that's going to be interesting, and then one thing that I hope is, is going to ho- help you be less nervous heading into tonight and, and make you feel good. So the, fir- the first thing is this is the first cup final with zero fighting majors from either team throughout the playoffs since 2002. We didn't even really get into the, the, the so the the power play situation. The Bruins' power play has oh, been right. unbelievable, and the Blues don't get penalized. But tonight, game one, I know Kelly Sunderland is one of the referees, and he is a very tight caller. So I think tonight, if anything, he'll they'll be calling things very closely. That could benefit the Bruins tonight if they can get on the power play. Because if the Bruins can't get on the power play, that's going to be a big disadvantage for them, I think, having to go five on five. Right, more penalties the better for the Bruins. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. They're clicking at a thirty-four percent as opposed to the Blues being at nineteen point four percent. I mean, the advantage is clear there. Right. Um, however, do those numbers hold up? And and the, you got to think those numbers are are a little padded with all the damage they did against uh, the Hurricanes. They, they well, they've been doing well all throughout though, pretty steadily. They've been mm-hmm. doing, they did well against Columbus, against Toronto on the power play. So right, but with Marshawn now, um, Colum- I mean Carolina was awful. Yeah, but with Marshawn now hurt, it, we're, we, I mean you gotta expect to see that drop off at least a little bit. Hopefully his injury is not too bad, and we'll we'll, we'll find out soon enough. All right, and then uh, just to leave you with a little little piece of hope here, um, 
Twice in the history of the Bruins, they have won more than seven games in a row, uh, and both times they've won the cup. All right, that's a good that's a good omen. They won their last ten games in uh, nineteen seventy to beat St. Louis Blues, and they won nine games in a row in seventy two to beat the Rangers. Okay. So there you are. There's your bit of hope. And we didn't give you the Vegas line, but the Bruins are minus 165 to win the series. Mm-hmm. Um, Blues are plus 145. And tonight, the Bruins are minus 160 in game one. So pretty strong favorites. All right. Well, we're going to close it out here uh, this Memorial Day with your MLB Power 10 and Players of the Week. So take it away, John. Okay. So this week, I'm going to do it a little bit differently because I'm going to go backwards. Instead of going 1 to 10, I'm going to start by going 10 to 1 this week. How's that sound? I love it. Okay. All right. So, number 10 is going to be the local nine, the Boston Red Sox. Number nine, Milwaukee Brewers. Number eight, Atlanta Braves. Number seven, Bryce Harper and the Philadelphia Phillies. Number six, dropping down a few spots, is the Tampa Bay Rays. Number five, just can't keep them down, even with the injuries. The New York Yankees probably should be higher, but they're going to stay at five because I don't like them. (laughs) <laughs> number four is the Chicago Cubs number three watch out for the Minnesota Twins they have the highest run differential in the league they're hitting home runs at a record clip um, so the Twins are a team you need to watch out for and pay attention to number two the LA Dodgers and number one is the same as last week the Houston Astros are still rolling your top ten hitters for the last two weeks number one you know him we talked about him last week Josh Bell Josh Bell Number two, Max Kepler. Number three, Glaber Torres. Number four, Anthony Rizzo. Number five, Anthony Rendon. Six is Reynaldo Nunez from the Orioles. Number seven is Eddie Rosario, Twins. Uh, Number eight, Ronald Acuna. Number nine is Rafi Devers. And number 10 is Eduardo Escobar. And then just behind Escobar, number uh, number 11 is the new Braves rookie that was just called up, Austin Riley, who's been on fire. Top two, top ten pitchers from the last two weeks. Number one is Justin Verlander. Number two is Patrick Corbin. Number three, Brandon Woodruff. Number four is Frankie Montas from the A's. Number five, Charlie Morton. Six, Kyle Hendricks. Number seven, Braves rookie right-hander Mike Soroka. Number eight, Twins Kyle Gibson. Number nine, Twins Jake Odorizzi. Number ten, Mike Miner from the Rangers. And that is your baseball update. All right, sounds good. Um, well... That about does it for this week. Make sure to look us up on the interwebs, uh, Green Mountain Sports, uh, on Facebook and Instagram. And then you can find Johnny on Twitter, at Green Mountain Grinder. Um, thanks for playing along. Hope you everybody had a pleasant uh, Memorial Day. And uh, ugh, go Bruins. All right. Have a good week.